What makes up the perfect Christmas for you? You know, as you kind of uh, think about Christmas, as you anticipate Christmas, you know, every family, every, uh, every sort of, there's a kind of a little thing we have in mind, and we, we would all have things that are special, little traditions, things that we, we brought with us on the journey, things from our childhood days, things that are, are special, you know, food, family, friends, you know. What makes the perfect gift? These days, you know, the gift seems to be uh, actually really rather more important than it's supposed to be. And that Mulberry advert was just wonderful. I just thought it was very, very interesting too. But do you know what um, Christmas costs us dear? Do you know in the six weeks running up to last Christmas, we spent 75 billion pounds. We spend more money on Christmas than any other nation in Europe. It's the truth. In fact, that. Uh, most of it, of course, goes on credit. And after Christmas, we had more debt. We ha- there was only Romania that had got into more debt over Christmas. Now, I find that troubling, and I know you do too. And it's a challenge. And, you know, you have to manage your budget carefully and juggle this and juggle that. And I totally understand that. But I'm grateful to Mulberry for that because it, it, it's an attempt to put things into perspective and done so well and so cleverly, you know. And... Uh, uh, you know, I, I have this series to begin. It's called The Birth of Hope. What we want to do this Christmas is really continue that which the Lord, the Holy Spirit has been doing with us these last few weeks and months. You know, hope has been rising up in us. Hope and expectation of God's love and his presence with us has been kind of, you know, div- has been growing and, and multiplying. And this series, even though... The title I've been given is A Life Without Hope. Thank you, Emma Blustin, wherever you are, who uh, she's gone point on developing this series. But even though that may be my title, we're going to look at Herod, a man without hope. I hope that by the end of this little series, uh, and indeed at the end of this morning, that you will have reason for hope. Hope in, in our culture's uh, usage is is really more to do with you know fingers crossed. You know I hope I get that present for Christmas, or I hope I get that job, or I hope we can get there on time. It, it's it's you know it, there's a sense of you know we don't know it, it, it's, it's to chance you know or fate or something. We we hope it turns out all right for us. But actually, the first bit of good news I want to tell you that in the scriptures. The Bible uses the word hope in a totally different way. It's not about something being to chance. It's actually all about uh, the, the language of certainty. And the reason for the hope is not my bank balance or, or Auntie Flo's generosity or will they have a turkey when I get there even though I'm late in Sainsbury's this year. It's not like that. In the scriptures, the way hope is used, it's all about the person who is the source of hope. There's an important distinction. In our society, hope is something that is to chance. I hope this will happen. I hope we'll get there. I hope I get that present. But in the scriptures, the hope is rooted in God. God who is heavenly, eternal, incorruptible, immortal, outside of this world, otherly. The psalmist in in Psalm 43, verse 5, I haven't got time to turn it up, says this, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so despairing? 
our hope in God, for we will yet praise him. We will yet rejoice and give thanks. Psalm 43, verse 5. That time and again, the writers in the, in, the, in the scriptures look to God, and in him, they find someone who is a source of hope and something that you can live your life on, something you can stand on, something that is quite apart from our current circumstances and the challenges we face. So let's look at King Herod. We're going to contrast over this series a life without hope with, with people in the midst of hope, in the midst of even challenging situations, but of finding a hope in God, a hope to carry them through in that. So uh, let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, verse 16. And this is part of the Christmas story. We're not going to be doing this story in a chronological manner. So, you know, this is a little ways into the story. This is actually the story of the wise men visiting King Herod, searching for the child. Dennis Hilton, in a couple of weeks' time, will be looking at the wise men themselves. But, but let's just read this little piece of scripture. Matthew chapter 2 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. This is where you go, dun, 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 because Herod is a baddie. <laughs> Verse 16 says this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the wise men, they'd been warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod and tell him where the baby was to be found. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in, the Beth in, in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Didn't kill all the, all the boys in Israel, just in Bethlehem and that vicinity, but that was no comfort to those mothers who lost their children that Christmas tide. Herod was a man of his times. And the times and the seasons of Israel at that time were particularly dark. We have spent the last four or five weeks looking at the blessing. We've looked at the promise that God gave to Abraham about building up into a great nation and being blessed. Well, all that has happened. Abraham's uh, descendants became a great nation. They found themselves in slavery and God delivered them. He took them to, after a long walkabout in the desert, he took them to the promised land, the land of Canaan, a land, picture language here, flowing with milk and honey. There they were established as a great nation, which peaked in the, in the age of Solomon, King Solomon, 
where the whole world came to Israel for wisdom, for resources. It was a magnificent, it was all of the seven wonders rolled into one. But sadly, at the peak, so decadence crept in. Solomon married many foreign wives, but allowed them to worship their foreign gods. And just as God said would happen, happened. The children of Israel, their heads were turned to other gods, and they began to worship other gods as well as Yahweh to begin with. But then the worship of Yahweh with all its kind of rules and regulations and, and restrictions and, and what have you began to chafe and they left Yahweh behind. And then God sent the prophets, Jeremiah, and as you know, I've been reading through that recently, among them, a prophet of tears, just saying again and again and again, turn back to the Lord your God. You are in a terrible, terrible situation and you do not know it. That led to the exile where Israel and Judah, the two great states of Israel at that time, were overrun, destroyed. The temple was torn down. The land was laid waste. And they were carried off into exile. And in that 400-year period, 400 period of exile, the, the Jewish scholars wrestled with what had happened to them. And slowly but surely, they realized that they had blown it. They had blown it. Maybe there's disappoint in your, disappointment in your life. Maybe there's, maybe there's regrets in your life. And you look back over the span of your life and you think, that was a defining moment. And I blew it. You know, so many people carry a little bit of luggage like that. And into that, slowly God began to speak again through his prophets. And he brought the dribs and drabs back from exile under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they were reestablished in Israel, but in a very, very meager and fallen state. And there was no hope. The prophets were not prophesying, oh, don't worry, folks, it's all going to be wonderful. It's going to be fabulous. God's going to turn it all around. They escaped with their lives. And at this point in time, when all of God's promises seemed, it seemed like all of God's promises were behind them now and had been frittered away and wasted, there was a little golden thread still working through, but they weren't really seeing that. At this point, they were invaded by the Romans. In the time of Herod, they were invaded by the Romans. And Herod, King Herod, Herod the Great, there are a number of Herods mentioned in the scriptures, he did something good. He built an amazing temple to Yahweh. But that's probably the only good thing you can say about him. He was a profoundly insecure man. He was a non-Jew. He had been given the position of Herod the Great by the Romans. He was a puppet uh, dictator. He bore the resentment of all the true Jews. They tolerated him. And he was profoundly insecure. So insecure, in fact, that he murders his wife, his three sons, his mother-in-law, well, you know, uh, well, sorry. <coughs> sorry, I'm supposed to be being serious and momentous at this moment. Well, I love my mother-in-law. She's a sweetie pie. Mark, do I, did I get away with it? No, I don't know. Brother-in-law, uncle. You know, if anyone looked at him the wrong way, he killed them. And so when the three wise men, the magi, 
came to him saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews, that was always going to end in tears. That was always going to end in tears. Oh my gosh, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Oh, how wonderful. How fabulous. Oh, do find them and do come and tell me so that I, I, I can come and worship them too. Follow those guys, find out where he's birth, and then we'll put him to death. At this crossroads in time, there was no hope. No hope for the Jews, no hope for Herod, no hope, just oppression. Just the Roman occupation. But life went on. People did what they had to do, but struggled with no view of any great future for them. And into that, into that, we have the birth of hope. Hope is birthed again. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? I will yet praise him, my God and King. Like a little whisper on the wind. Hear that whisper today. Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God, for you will yet praise him, your God and King. Let hope be birthed in you. The readings are familiar enough. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. It's amazing how God brings about hope, how he delivers, how he saves Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Love comes down. Love comes down. Love beyond all comprehension. Love beyond all expectation. Love undeserved. Grace undeserved. The prophet spoke of it. I, I mentioned that little golden thread that, that was still there in the scriptures but was largely overlooked. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says this, And in those days, in those days, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Wouldn't you like to know that God was with you in your disappointment? 
in your despair. Maybe Christmas itself fills you with despair. How on earth am I going to provide for my family? God with us. Love comes down. And what was this child who was going to be our heavenly father, this child who was going to be the prince of peace, what was he going to do? Set up a new kingdom? Well, yes, but as you all, many of you anyway, know, he did it in a very extraordinary way. All that, those centuries of rebellion, (coughs) excuse me, those centuries of rebellion, those centuries of disappointing God and disappointing themselves, are you disappointed in the way you have walked with Christ if you're a follower of Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, God bless you. Do you, do you, do you carry with you regrets that you, you just don't know how to process? You don't know what to do with. But God sends his son. Love comes down, born as a baby. And this son is going to grow up into a man And this man is going to become a great teacher. This man is going to become a great prophet. This man is going to become a leader, almost in spite of himself. It's not something like Herod the Great would do. He didn't set himself up on a great throne. In fact, he walked around the dusty lanes of Galilee, the tracks and highways of Galilee, and attracted a following. But none of that, none of the expected, none of the things that we think will make the perfect life did he bring with him. The gifts, the food, the friends, you know, the the postcards, the cars, the snow, the snowmen, the reindeer. None of that came with him. But what came with him was a humble heart. What came with him and in him, because it was him, was the servant king. And he, when he was 30-odd years or so, 33, went to the cross. And on that cross, bore upon his shoulders all your disappointments, all your regrets, all my sin, all your sin, and the sin of every generation that has been and all that is to come. He bore that upon himself so that hope may be birthed in us once and for all. And more than hope, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, relationship with God, a God who loves you, a God for whom you can sing with gusto you're a good, good father, not because of a theory or because we're all doing it together and that seems like a nice idea and it's a cashy tune. Suddenly you have a father in heaven. Suddenly you're not stuck as if in Israel in the, in the time of Herod the Great. Suddenly there is a future for you. Suddenly there is an eternity for you. One is full of God and his grace and his mercy. Birth is hoped in us. I love the language of birth. I've got a brand new grandson, seven years old. He's living with us at the moment. Uh, I'm sorry. Seven weeks. Did I say, what did I say? What did I say? What? You said years. I said seven years. <laughs> oh no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Seven weeks. And he's a sweetie pie. 
He is. He's an absolute sweetie pie. As every parent and grandparent would say, he's a sweetie pie. I love the, the imagery of new birth. I mean, that's why we get so excited about the baptisms. And you know, as I was preparing this and talking and praying with the team about this, something just sort of occurred to me, which was, I just said, God, you know, you are so amazing. We're going to have the baptisms next week, next Sunday. And you know, a number of you are already looking forward to that. You've invited your family, friends. But I, I, I sense that there are people here today who are, as of this moment, we're not planning on getting baptized. But actually, I would encourage you to think and pray again. I would say to you, have you considered letting go of that dark past tainted by regrets, tainted by missed moments, tainted by disappointment? Have you thought of embracing this Christmas tide? God in all his fullness, the birth of hope, let that come to you. And as you go down into the waters, yes, to be washed, but more than washed, to die to self, to die to the old you, and rise up as a newborn, shivering, shaking, fluids dripping from your face, bursting out into the light. What a wonderful wonderful gift baptism is. And I would encourage you to email us or get to the baptism class, whatever. If you want to embrace and allow and engage with the birth of hope this Christmas time, that would seem to be a very good idea to me. That would seem the best sermon that I could ever preach. That would seem to me an amazing way of doing Christmas this year. Let's just watch this little video. It's just three or four people who've made that step of faith. Thank you, guys. Isn't it interesting? Not everybody's testimony, but there's a bit of a thread there. God's distant, punishing, restrictive, God's got it in for me. Everything bad in my life has come from God. He's punishing me. It was all up there. These thoughts, these concepts are very common. And they're all lies. Because in Christ, love has come down. In Christ, we step from darkness into light. In Christ, we truly know the birth of hope. The birth of hope is this Christmas. And I'm saying this to Christians who have baptized, been baptized, and are not. Uh, I'm saying this to everyone. Is this Christmas going to be a Christmas where hope is birthed again in you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not saved to live in hopelessness, in despair and discouragement, disappointment and regret. It's time to move that old Egypt, that place of slavery, 
it's time to cross the Jordan, go through the waters, and come out into the light of God's presence. Amen. Let's have the band up. I'm just going to pray. Please stand. Father, I thank you that because of your grace and your work in me, Lord God, I I no longer live in hopelessness and fear, but I confess that there were times when that was true, even after I'd given my life to you. I did not believe that you, Lord God, were the answer and indeed the sum of all my longings. I felt it was down to me. I was, yeah, I was like King Herod trying to make the world a safe place. I was trying to just gather enough money and do right by my kids and get them educated and clothed and fed and it was all on my shoulders. But life is more than bread, said Jesus. Life is more than clothes. Life is more than mulberry bags. Lord God, You are our Savior. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And we bless you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.